We are Pixie and Ogre. This is an intersectional LGBTQIA plus friendly podcast led by two lesbians living in the sticks of North Carolina. We discuss topics that support our values, including pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-trans and gender non-binary, and pro-sex work, among many other topics. Pixie is me, Mel. I hold a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Ogre is Laura, who has no degrees or licenses, but just likes to hear her sarcastic fat ass talk. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode three. The big three. And today's topic is lying, lying liars. Oh, my favorite thing. (laughs) I thought this would be an interesting topic because most people hate lying, but most of us lie. Right, and it's where do you draw the line and what, I mean, can you say that there's a good lie versus a bad lie? Right, so I think some would argue that there are. Well, I mean, as someone with mental illness, you know, we tend to lie frequently, yep. um, you know, to cover our feelings and, you know, I, I mean, I, I have a, what you would call an alien foot, um, which causes me a lot <laughs> of problems. And I, I frequently use my stumpy. my stumpy alien foot as an excuse to get out of things that I really don't feel like doing. And I honestly don't feel bad about about lying about it's not necessarily lying i was gonna say you really are in pain right it's in pain and some days are worse than others and i know that if i if i made plans to go and do something that it's not going to kill me to do it but it's just it gets down to it and i've been in pain all day and i don't feel like it and so it's just instead of saying that and being honest it's just I just say, my foot is killing me, I can't handle it, I'm not going. Right, so it's kind of like this built-in excuse. A built-in excuse, yes. But it it is sometimes a lie. I mean, sometimes it doesn't hurt at all, and I'll I'll Still. still use it as an excuse for something that I don't do. Well, and... I've used your health issues to get out of things. <laughs> uh, you know, gee, I really wish I could, but I've got to stay home with my wife, you know, make sure that she's okay. Make sure she doesn't die. She may, well, I mean, that's on a real note, but, you know, I definitely have. And what's interesting is I'm more comfortable using physical reasons why I can't do something than a mental health reason. Okay, why is it? Because I feel like it's more socially acceptable. Okay. So, for example, it's now Monday. I missed work on Thursday and Friday because, thanks to the pandemic, you can't have an allergy attack without needing to get tested. Right. So, I had shortness of breath, still do, a little bit of a cough, still do. I knew it was nothing, but I would be pissed if one of my coworkers came in with those symptoms and didn't tell anyone. Right. And didn't go get tested. And didn't go get tested. So... I didn't feel guilty about missing work because it was for a physical, like quantifiable, I can't return to work until I have my results. We're in a global crisis. So I didn't feel bad about it. Now today, literally had to peel myself up off the floor depression wise to get to work. And I have never and probably will never be honest about my mental health reasons for wanting to stay home. Like, I have called out because I've been depressed or anxious, but I have blamed a physical ailment. 
Do you think that calling out for a mental illness is acceptable? Do you think employers understand that? I feel like they should, especially since I do work in a mental health field and always have, but there does seem to be this underlying subtext of if you need a mental health day or you need a personal day, that's something that you need to plan ahead of time. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to plan my, you know, major depressive episodes or my panic attacks. Oh, you don't? No, I try not to. Oh. I kind of like it to be spontaneous, you know, just a whim. No, see, I like everything planned out. <laughs> everything has to have... Thursday will be the panic attack. <laughs> Friday is the crippling depression. Friday through Sunday, agoraphobia. Yes, why Perfect. Not? You know? Perfect. Um, yeah, I like to schedule these things. That's a good idea. I don't know. I think, like, even in the midst of this very confusing pandemic and you know, the upcoming presidential elections, and, mm. you know, <laughs> I, I think employers need to be more open and accepting to mental health days. Yeah. You know, I mean, some, some days you just wake up and you, you just can't, you just can't face the world. But one might argue everyone probably feels like that most mornings. So where do we draw the line? Like if all five counselors happened to wake up one day and all said they needed a mental health day, I mean we wouldn't be able to do our jobs. Well, I agree with that, but we need to start looking at mental health as a part of a physical. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just your physical ailments. I mean, your mental health plays a huge role in your physical That's health right. and well-being overall. That's right. And I think that people in general need to start accepting mental health illnesses as, as a physical symptom. Yeah you know, as an actual illness. Absolutely. And, but we're getting away from the line. Well, not, we are, but we aren't. So I came in today and of course I missed two days of work and then there was a weekend. So I got met with like, how are you feeling? And I decided not to lie entirely. And let me tell you, it was fucking uncomfortable and I wish I had just lied. I don't know if I would have been able to paint the happy face on that would have had to accompany the lie because I literally just could not get it up today. Right. But the the looks on people's faces on not knowing what to do with that authenticity was just like uh, uh like oh, like they're expecting, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I was like, I'm not I'm I'm doing okay. I've I'm still not feeling great. Oh, you know, then like getting into the symptoms of why I was gone. Well, actually, to be honest, those are pretty much on the back burner. Now it's just my chronic pain and my depression. Right. right. You know, and I, I kind of said pain stuff, mood stuff, like tried to keep it light, but kind of tried to couch it in a way like if I seem like a raging bitch today, that's probably why. Well, I think it's interesting that we feel the need to lie just to make things more comfortable. But I, I agree with you. I mean, nine times out of ten, when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Yep, no problems. But are you fine like that little cartoon sitting in that room drinking his coffee that's on fire fine? No, I'm fine to the extent that I don't want to discuss it. Mm. You know, friends will ask, how are you doing? And, I, and it, I'm fine because it's... Yes, in general, I'm fine, um, but I, you know, if every day you're, you know, I'm responding to questions about how I'm doing with 
no, I'm really depressed. I'm really anxious today. I'm in a lot of pain. I mean, it, yeah. it just gets, I know on the receiving end, it gets to be a little bit depressing. Yes. To constantly hear that from someone. And, yeah. and then, you know, the follow-up question, is there anything I can do for you? Right. And there's not. There's It's nothing. It's, right. You know, it's, it's just something you have to live with and deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's got to run its course. It's got to run its course. And so, you know, even with close friends, I feel the need to just say, I'm fine. Right. Because I don't want that obligation to fall on their shoulders you know, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Right. That type of thing. With folks that I feel pretty close to, I'll say things like, I'm here. It's another day. Yeah, I'm struggling, but I'm here. You right. know, like for, for people that I feel close enough with who I know I don't expect anything from necessarily, and I know that they will be there unconditionally. Right. But yeah, and those like casual or like even work situations. But I... I do feel like it's important for me to be a little bit more transparent, especially when I'm having like mental health stuff, because it probably will make me seem different. Or off in some right. way. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking a lot about this when we, were think when we were talking about doing lying, because I have often said to you that I'm actually a very skilled liar. Oh. Like I, I am a pretty good liar, but out of necessity. Okay. So I was thinking back to like why, like what sorts of things would I lie about and why? Well, you know, childhood abuse, you know, that starts there, don't tell anyone, you know, it was not, it's not a big deal, we don't need to tell anyone, to then dealing with all this mental health emotion stuff, even before I was in my preteens and not understanding them and being told that I was making a big deal out of nothing, I was being too sensitive, I was being too difficult. So being gaslit all the time about my emotions made me not trust my emotions. Right, and it made you not want to be treated by other people the way mm -hmm. that your family treated you. That's right. And so it was just shut up about how you're feeling, everything is fine, you know, focus, move forward. Absolutely, and I really started to doubt all of the feelings and emotions I was having as being not real, that it was something I was creating out of nowhere. Right, just drama. Exactly. And it's interesting because I, I found this article and I'll include it in the show notes. Um, it's from psychcentral.com and it's called Trauma, the Lie Whisperer. Ooh. And how trauma just kind of perpetuates this constant second guessing of everything you feel and think and perceive because you've been taught to do that. Yeah. Right? So one example I was thinking of was in the past when I've had significant others who I just knew were cheating on me. And they would tell me, no, you're being crazy, you're being paranoid, you're, there's, you're being suspicious, there's nothing going on. And then there would be something going on and I spent all that time ignoring my instincts in order to trust this person. Right. And so that kind of cycle has repeated for me over and over again to where unless I'm extremely close to someone, I really don't have a problem like flat out lying, not about anything major, but lying about things to get me out of something 
or to avoid an uncomfortable conversation, conflict, anything like that. I'll just lie my way through it to avoid, right. to not deal. And it's taken me time in my personal relationships to actually feel comfortable being like my full mess in front of that person. Right, and I think that's what a lot of lies come to, is that we don't want to be our full, uninhibited selves in front of other people, so we, we kind of lie to cover up why we don't want to do something or right. you know, to get out of doing something that we previously agreed to do. That's my worst, is I will agree to anything and everything, and then the day of, I'm just like, eh. The, I'm with you. The worst for me is when I'm having like a high self-esteem day or like a hypomanic day, and I'm just making all these social plans, and I'm totally into it, yeah. and then the, the plans fall on a depressive day, and I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I'm not or an anxious day. Yeah. I'm not feeling any of this. Yeah. And so I do like that at this point, I do have friendships and family relationships that are close enough and it's a small circle but it close enough that I will be forthcoming and say I'm going to say yes to this now but with the understanding that I can cancel at the last minute right with no hard feelings right and thankfully most of the people in my life are similar introverts in that way and you know have mood changes you know from day to day so that typically that's something that they can understand and work with right and it's something that they do as well right but i mean again like i experienced today at work it's not something i could do with a casual acquaintance right because they wouldn't stick around if you kept canceling that's right right and it's it's difficult to make long-term friends when you have issues that require you know canceling at the last minute that's right but do you feel bad lying about things no it's just habit. It's it's habit, and it, it's unfortunately in those like casual acquaintance relationships, because there isn't that investment. Like it's not like you, you're my wife, or like my closest friend, or like my cousin. I don't feel like I owe them anything. Right. And <clears throat> I I don't feel that they would understand if I was honest. I feel like. In those cases, honesty would actually do more harm than good because if they don't know me well enough and I'm just all like balls to the wall being, you know, myself, who is mentally ill, I think it would scare some people away or be off-putting. Yeah. You know, I'm an acquired taste. You're really not. Well, okay, that's interesting. I really am. But I have conditioned myself to be likable in most groups. Again, another form of lying. I can fit in if need be. I could do parties just fine. I, I mingle pretty well. I'm really good storyteller. I mean, listen to me, just toot toot in a way over here. Not bad for a depressive day. Not bad at all. But I will be so drained at the end of the night, and I'll probably be a miserable bitch to whoever I go home with. Or super quiet because I've expended all of my social energy right in that in that area but that's another form of lying because people see that and they think that's really me and it's really just a small fragment of myself and it's something that I got praise for as a child she's so likable she's easy to get along with she's a pleasure to have in class 
And so I really, validation for me is like, whoa, like that is my bread and butter. That's how I just like make it through each fucking day is validation. Hmm. And so hearing that just conditioned me to be like, just be likable, just be nice, make sure everyone likes you all the time to the point where I literally become this fake caricature of myself in some social situations where I don't know most people unless I can find a kid and or an animal to distract me. Oh, yeah. I mean. Saving grace of kids and animals. <laughs> That's how I make it through any social situation. If there's a kid and an animal or, or, or and both maybe, then I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need to put on any facades because kids and animals can see right through that shit. Yep. Um, but if I'm forced to have a social interaction for an extended period of time with adults, I will appear to be an entirely different person. Right. I can, I can, I do see that when we're in social situations, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you are different and, um, you know, when we come home, you are quieter and, you know, that's usually the end of, end of any kind of adventure (laughs) for that day. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's, it's right to bed or it's, uh, staring in front of, sitting in front of the TV, staring at something stupid. Yes. Where do you draw the line between the little lies and the big lies? I mean, I would, I would say that hiding a part of yourself, um, is a big lie. I would agree. And that's why you're actually the only person that I've dated who I was upfront with all of my stuff, baggage, so to speak, because I really did not know that we were going to start dating. Ah. I mean, I didn't have a car. We lived an hour away. I just thought you, you know, we would be friends. And so I kind of put all my stuff out there immediately. Well, wouldn't you want the person that you're dating to know the real you? Well, yes, but in the dating world, it's kind of understood that you put your best foot forward in the beginning. Just to get in the door. You want to tuck some of that stuff away. Got it. I didn't tuck anything away with you. I was pretty wide open about all of my issues and everything that was going on. And I think it was because of that, not despite it, that we work so well because there were no surprises. No, and in a relationship, I don't like surprises. Right. You know, I, I don't want surprises, I, I, in, especially personality-wise. I think that that should all be laid out there. I mean, I understand the concept of putting your best foot forward, you know, to get in the door. Yeah. But once you get in the door and then all of a sudden you're you know you start pulling your batshit crazy out of all of these dark recesses then it's i think it's worse absolutely and i th- i think that's i think that's why well i i didn't think until i met you that i was going to date again because of those reasons because i i tried to be quote unquote like a normal person in a normal relationship. I don't know what that means or what that looks like, but it was not me, the person who has several mental illnesses and chronic pain situations. It wasn't that person. It was someone who could hang for hours at a time, going off and doing eight different things in one day. That just made me tired thinking about it. Yeah, that's exhausting. Yeah. And so that those were some of the relationships I was in before you, and it just I burnt out because... I was overdoing it and I never spoke to the person about my limitations. Because you were afraid or? Because I didn't want to believe I had limitations. I wasn't, I wasn't fully facing like, 
I wasn't fully embracing where I was at mentally and physically. And I still don't a lot of the time. I still get very down on myself when I, you know, run out of spoons by 10 a.m. And for those of you who don't know about spoon theory, I will put a little website in the show notes for you. Spoon theory. Spoon theory, yes. <laughs> is this a legitimate it is. psychosocial theory? So let's go ahead and chat about it. I'll put this link in there. I'm going to look up the actual definition of spoon theory. All right. Does it have to be spoons? Can it be forks, knives? So what's interesting is there's actually fork theory. Oh, this is different than spoon theory. It is different than spoon theory. And I'm going to paraphrase on that because I heard that on a podcast once and I heard it explained. So I'm going to kind of, let's start with the spoons first. Okay. So spoons essentially for people who have chronic illness equate to the amount of energy that they have to expend in one day. And that differs day to day? Correct. Okay, so one day I could have one spoon. That's right. And another day I could have 10. That's right. Okay. But someone who doesn't have chronic illness, whether it's physical, mental, or both, in theory have unlimited amount of spoons. As long as they get enough sleep and, and, and eat and everything, they could probably just keep going all day until they're done. Okay. But for folks who have chronic illness, like you said, we may wake up with, you know, we didn't sleep well, so we're down, we're, we've got five spoons to work with instead of 10 that we had the day before. And then it takes two spoons to get showered and dressed, one spoon to eat breakfast, now we're down to two spoons and you still have a whole day worth of activities expected of you. Right. So fork theory, and again, just paraphrasing from what I heard on, on another podcast, and I'll try to find a link to that, is for individuals whose chronic illnesses may include attention issues or hyperactivity. So they have so many forks in a day, but when they go to certain activity, then that makes them go over this way or go over this way. And they're kind of going off on their own little forks in the road, so to speak. Interesting. So they're still limited energy-wise, but then even completing that task that one fork takes will take them into three or four different directions. They have to keep refocusing. Interesting. Yes. Yes. I'm still not sure why we're using cutlery. That's what I'm going to look up. Let's see. I think it was just a per like a personal approach that someone came up with and it just became popularized. It's just as a unit of energy. Why not chopsticks? I don't know. Sticks of gum. Sticks of gum? Yeah, the gum stick theory. I'm going to do some more research on this, but for now it's spoons. Okay. And so those of us, myself included, who identify as having like a chronic illnesses, I would, be, I would consider myself a spoonie. A spoonie. A spoonie. Okay. And you might see that on like social media bios. Someone might just have the spoon emoji or say that they are a spoonie. That's what that means. That they have chronic illness yeah either mental or physical or both or both and typically it's both do you think one creates the other i think one facilitates the other so i think it's kind of like a chicken egg situation unless you know the genesis of either mental or physical illness if it's something that 
someone's had for as long as they can remember and it's from childhood, it's possible that they were both kind of came up at the same time. Interesting. You know? So I thought it would be interesting. I have one more quick um, article here from Psychology Today, and this one says, Six Reasons People Lie When They Don't Need To. Okay. So I thought this was kind of interesting because we were talking about big lies versus little lies. And, you know, what qualifies as a lie? Why would people lie? So the first one of six is the lie does matter to the person who's telling it. So this might be more of that, like, um, kind of like along the lines of gaslighting where the person is putting, placing a lot of importance on something and everyone else is not validating the importance of it. So they may overemphasize things to go ahead and get that validation that they're looking for. Okay. Um, Cause they're not getting it in other ways. The second one, telling the truth feels like giving up control. So some people tell lies because they're trying to control a situation or an outcome and it can be inconvenient for like the truth to kind of get in the way. Right, that one makes sense. Right, so I, what I think, what comes to mind when I think of that is like, and this is from that show, Modern Family, if anyone has seen it, where Cameron tells his daughter Lily that every time she lies, a bird dies. Oh. I know. That's really sad. It is really sad. So it's just, but that was convenient. That was just like, I need to say something now to get her to stop lying because she was going through like a lying phase and it was the first thing he came up with and now it's, now it became a thing. You know, because then she would catch her dads and lies and then she would say, why would you want a bird to die? Sad. That is sad. It is sad. Um, three, people don't want to disappoint you. That's probably the number one reason why I have lied in the past and, and probably will continue to lie, again, to people who are not close to me. My wife is looking at me like I lie to her all the time, which, considering the first thing out of my mouth this morning in the text was, I ate your last bagel. I think she knows it's not... I, I don't think you lie all the time. I, I, when you talk about lying, I, I can't picture you lying. Like uh, you're not a very good liar when you when you try to lie to me. You know, you're, you, you, you I can't say that. Maybe you have lied to me successfully, but when you've done something <laughs> like eat the last cookie, or <laughs> eat the last bagel, or done something, I finished your popcorn. Done something that you know, you might think I, I'll be upset about <laughs> you. I mean, you, you're chomping at the bit to get it out there and yes. get it off your chest yes. instead of just lying about it. You know, like, I don't know what happened to the last cookie. So I think that kind of goes along with like, is it lying for this, like not wanting to, to, to disappoint people or not wanting to be uncomfortable versus I don't want to get caught doing something. So my lying is never like, I've done something wrong that I'm covering it up. You know what I mean? If I've done something like eat the last cookie, I'm gonna tell on myself, I gotta get that guilt off ASAP. Right. But the lying that I do is more like comfort, avoidant. I just wanna make every, I don't wanna rock the bow. I want smooth lines everywhere. So instead of saying, I don't wanna hang out with you tonight. Mm. That, knife to the gut. That's that's just too much. So that's you would you would, too direct. You would lie and say, "I'm not feeling well this evening." Yeah, and depending on like if this is like the the second or third time I've canceled, it might get more severe. More severe, like you're lying. 
Yeah, or like, like the circumstance. So I'm also very superstitious. So I never, I never say anything's wrong with you when it's not because I feel like I'm gonna put a jinx on me. Correct. And I never say something's wrong with my car if it's not because I'm afraid that's gonna jinx something happening to my car. Okay. So if I'm like, ah, man, I was just on my way to get get in the car and I have a flat tire and I don't, I will obsess that. I will get a flat tire in the next two weeks because that's what's going to happen. Right. So it'll it'll be <laughs> like, you know, maybe the first time was like, I'm just feeling a little under the weather. And then the second time will be like, I, I have period cramps so bad that I'm like shitting every two minutes. You know what I mean? Like it just gets more and more graphic so that there won't be any follow-up questions. Wait, you're shitting how much? There won't be any checking in. There'll just be a thumbs up emoji and we move on with our day. No, I'm kind of kidding, but it might get a little bit more detailed, you know, if this is the second or third time that I have canceled on someone. Got it. And as you know, I really only allow myself a one get a get out of jail free card because I canceled on you one time before our first date. Yes. And I knew it was like that. That was it. I I had to meet you the next time. I still would have rescheduled. (laughs) Okay. Um, number four in the article is lies snowball. So of course, if you tell one lie, then you kind of got to keep track of that lie. Then you may have to tell more lies to keep supporting that lie. That's the kind of not wanting to get caught shit. I just don't have the time or mental energy for. Right. Like I know everybody says this, but I'm 38 going on 39. I have never cheated on anyone. I've never come close. I've never wanted to. I feel pretty confident in saying I never will because having to juggle all of that, never mind like what I would be doing to my partner, but also just trying to keep all of that straight. Uh uh-uh. uh. I, I told you I had the last bagel this morning. Your last, I ate your bagel this morning and I was rocked with guilt until I was able to talk to you this morning. <laughs> True story. I, like we were talking about the, the whole lying and the guilt part of it um the snowball effect Mm -hmm. i can't remember anything and so if i tell a white lie that is true i i don't remember that's really true and i don't remember day to day so Mm. like i can tell you a white lie today and tomorrow you ask me the question about it and i'm like what and and let me tell you not that i there's ever been any evidence in the almost four years that you've ever lied to me small or big I'm that hyper-focused, hyper-vigilant, anxious person who notices every nuance and change. So it's a good thing that you don't even do white lies because I would probably catch you in all of them. Probably, because I'm not yeah. very good at it. And, I, and, and it's mainly because I can't remember. <laughs> and so, you know, and plus I figure, what's the point of telling, like, telling you white lies to right. cover something? You don't ever ask me to do something that I can't or I'm unwilling to do. Um, so there's really no reason to, to, you know, lie to cover anything up. You know, mainly I just lie to get out of things that I've agreed to do. Yeah. You know, with friends that, yep. you know, come the day of, I'm just like, I just absolutely do not want to do this. Yep, absolutely. And so that's, you know, that's mainly where I... That's usually me 99% of the time. Right. It's that 1% that gets me in trouble making all these goddamn plans. Um, 
number five on the list is it's not a lie to the person who's telling it. And this is interesting because you and I have been talking a lot about memory mm -hmm. and perception. Yes. And I think this, at least for me, was kind of mind blowing because it made me think of my childhood, gaslighting, abuse, minimizing my feelings and emotions. And I would be told that's not how it happened. Yes. Or are you sure it was that bad? Or you're being so dramatic that you start to believe that. And it, it isn't a lie to that person because they've literally been conditioned. And then the person who's saying these things to, to the child or the other person gaslighting them, they have to believe it on some level too. They right. have to, you know, if they're at fault or they did something which kind of leads right into number six, they want it to be true. They right. need it to be true. Right. I can see that one too. You know, especially when it comes to like that early trauma or, you know, mental health symptoms that, you know, in the eighties and nineties, I mean, we didn't have labels for things like kids do now, which is great. I mean, it's so normative now for kids of all ages to have therapy or a counselor or someone they can talk to. That was not the case when I was growing up. No. I don't think it was the case when you were growing up. No. I don't even, I don't even think psychology had been invented <laughs> when I was growing up. <laughs> Freud was still a child. Uh, just knee high to a grasshopper. Huh? Yes, he was. All right. <laughs> Good old Freud. <laughs> What's interesting, though, is that growing up, my whole life was a lie. Like yeah. every single second of every single day of my life That's was true. a lie. That's and true. we were like, I can't even tell you several times a day, we were told by our parents that we were never ever to talk about anything that happened in our house outside of our house. Mm. And my parents, you know, we used to have family dinners, these formal sit down family dinners. And my parents would talk about work and they would tell us like three or four times just during dinner, yeah. Nothing that we say here can leave this house. It's a lot. And it's a lot. And, and there's three children in my family, my older sister, me, and my younger sister. And we're, we're all seven years apart, yep. which is a, in, in terms of growing up and learning and development, it's a huge span. And so we kind of grew up in different phases. In like in different countries, in different countries, just like very different circumstances. So by the time I was seven, my older sister was off at boarding school. Right. She didn't live with us anymore. So then it was just me and my younger sister. But then by the time she was seven, I was off at boarding school. That's right. And my older sister was out living her own life. And so we just had, it was very different memories. And so sometimes my older mm. sister will be telling me a memory of me that she has and I, I will have the complete opposite memory of what actually happened. And so I usually just agree with her um, just because it's not worth, it's, yeah. it's not worth getting her riled up right. over something that if she, if that's how she chooses to remember it, then that's fine, you know? Right. And, but it makes me question my own reality. My own, my own truth, I guess, is what I question a lot. You know, did, did that happen the way I remember or, what is it? Do I remember it because it was told to me differently, or 
something like that. Right. You know, did I hear the truth and right. I was told not to remember the truth because it was a secret? I mean, do you, would you like to share why their your parents' work was a secret? My parents were CIA agents. Both of them were. My dad was a um, higher level than my mother, but they they were both CIA agents for most of their adult lives. It's pretty awesome. And they were covert, which means that my parents always had secret identities. Um, you know, they always, they worked for legitimate companies or legitimate branches of the government other than the CIA, which was always their cover story. And that's why we traveled around all over the world. But, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, my parents told me when I was seven that they worked at the CIA and that we were not allowed to discuss it. Well, to be fair, from what I understand from stories, you were a pretty precocious child and wanted to know why were we going to this fenced-in brick building every day to drop mom off? <laughs> Right. I mean, we, we, we didn't have, like, my dad would say, get in the car, we're taking your mom to, to work, and, and get in the car, and we drive into the middle of the woods, and then all of a sudden, there's a man standing there in camouflage, <laughs> gigantic gun pointed that at us. That would inspire some questions. You know, and we're in the middle of the woods in Virginia, and my dad's going, sit down and be quiet. <laughs> you know, and we, we leave my mom with this, you know, commando. And she comes home covered in bruises. Of course I'm going to have questions. And I think that's fair. <laughs> and, and yes, you know, I have questions. And, and, you know, we would drive to these ramshackle buildings with cameras everywhere and, you know, be escorted in through the basement door. And my da I'm like, why are we here, Dad? <laughs> We're just here to get shots to see the doctor. I mean, who the hell goes to ramshackle building in the middle of, like, an industrial right, area? little bunker. And... To see a doctor. Yeah. And it... So I had questions, and so at seven, they finally told me the truth, that, <laughs> that they were covert CIA agents, and that I wasn't ever allowed to tell anybody about anything. And so that's, you know, at seven, at the young age of seven, yeah. I started to realize that they, I had been lied to my seven long years, and that I had been lying. Like, not even my grandparents knew, or my aunts and uncles. Really? Or, no. Oh, wow. I don't know why I thought that they did. <clears throat> no, nobody I mean, After knew. they retired. After they retired, but, that oh. it had to go through a process. Um, the CIA had to review their careers to determine if they could retire, retire covertly or non-covertly. That's right. And so it was determined they could retire non-covertly. Okay. And that's when they all of their awards and accolades and everything that they had um, acquired throughout their career um, was allowed to be released and they were allowed to bring it home. So, that's awesome. Yeah, like letters from the from standing presidents and you know, letters of commendation from the wow. directors and things like that that nobody nobody ever knew about. Oh my God. For someone like me who literally lives and breathes validation, that would have been so hard for me. Yeah. I would have wanted to they, they couldn't like, tell anybody. scream about all my... <laughs> right. And yeah, they couldn't tell anybody anything. Huh. So, and you know, my parent, my friends would always say, what does your dad do? And I would say, he works for the State Department or he works for, right. you know, the Army Corps of Engineers or whatever his code, what his cover was for that particular assignment. But... Eventually, every you know everybody figured it out. Well, yeah. Other people. I mean, it's kind of like the waste management in mafia equivalent. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Like, like I'd, I'd meet new kids at school, and they'd go home and tell their parents. <laughs> so I met I met so and so today, and her dad is so and so, and he works in so and so, and they'd come to school the next day, and they'd say, "My dad says I can't play with you." <laughs> Why not? 
why? And I never knew why. But why? Because my dad was CIA. But that's bad? People were afraid of us. Oh. Because I, I don't know why. I guess they figured we were targeted more than anybody else. I mean, it's probably true. I, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting thinking, talking about lies and thinking about lies. Yeah. And, you know, my entire life was a lie because even once they told me, we were forbidden to talk about it until, God, until you know, they retired. Right. Which was, you know, now it's been probably 20 years. But I was, a, I was an adult with children before. And still couldn't. And still wasn't allowed to tell people. Yeah. And so it was interesting. Like once I was allowed to tell people, it sort of became non-issue. Yeah. Like it didn't matter anymore. Right. Well, the pressure was off and the danger right. was off. But what's interesting is who says that those memories weren't real to you? Like your experience is still valid. Right. I just, I sometimes question whether I'm remembering things correctly or not. But let's just say you're not, for the sake of argument. What would be the big deal if you remembered it differently? Who's to say that your sister remembers it accurately? Right, or perhaps she's remembering a small portion of it and I'm remembering a small portion of it and we're both seeing it from different perspectives, right. which would change the, 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 the truth of it, I guess. Well, and they say there's three sides to the truth. Yours, mine, and the truth. Right. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, um, I, I think we all come into it with that kind of skewed, you know, perception, and and you both might be right. You mo both might be wrong. Right. And seven years apart is a big difference. It is. And so she's seeing stuff from a teenage perspective when right. I'm only seven. Right. And I think that that changes a lot of things. Absolutely. And I think, like I said, like, I think the perception of an experience doesn't negate the experience. Right. E even if it was misconstrued or it was a fraction of the situation, I think that person's experience is still important. Right. And valid. Right. Exactly. So, awesome. I've enjoyed talking about lying. Yes. I've enjoyed not lying to you. Good. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that continues. <laughs> Bye, guys. If you are interested in sending us listener letters, asking for advice, sharing something unusual, or topics that you want us to discuss, send an email to pixieandogrepod at gmail.com. That's P-I-X-I-E-A-N-D-O-G-R-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Thanks.